Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It is Tuesday, January 25th. Super excited to be here with you all. So what do we do on these weekday mornings from 8 to 8.15 or so? What do we do for these 10 or 15 minutes, five days a week? These things we call the Four Oaks Pastoral Devotionals. Well, we take a, a portion of scripture and we unpack it. We apply it. We Think about, think about it this way, that the Christian life is like a booster rocket, right? Um, you need the Word of God as fuel to sort of launch you into different phases of your day and life and week. And you may not be literally reading the Word of God every single second of the day and having a continual boost, but you have periodic boosts, just like a rocket goes through stages of boosting into orbit. Um, to propel it where it needs to go. That's what the Word of God does for us. And that's what we try to do uh, at the beginning of each of these days. And right now, we're running concurrently with our series in the book of Romans that we've been preaching on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks. And we're trying to unpack little pieces of that sermon or parts of the text, draw out implications, applications that maybe we didn't have time to do on that Sunday morning. Well, well this past week, Pastor Scott preached Romans 6, 1 through 14 or so for us, and we've been trying to draw out some of the conclusions um, and, and implications of this incredible doctrine that Paul has introduced us to, this doctrine of the union of Christ. And, and essentially, the way Paul talks about this uh, the death and resurrection of Christ was not just that we were um, distant beneficiaries of this death and resurrection, but in fact, we were active participants in it. And so let, let me read um, again from Romans chapter 6, and, and let's, let's think through um, anew some of what Paul is saying here. Now, remember yesterday we talked about this idea that because of our union with Christ— this is the ultimate hope of our assurance, that our assurance is not based upon um, ultimately the, the quality of our faith or the quantity of our faith, although our faith is the instrument by which we receive God's grace. But in fact, the most important piece of our assurance is the fact that we were united with Christ in his death and resurrection. So again, let, let's, let's read the text. Verse 1 of chapter 6 in Romans, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, Paul says the reason we have assurance, the reason that we can know that we will arise with Christ when he comes back one day is that we were, in fact, united with him. We were there. Our souls were there um, with him on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, obviously, there's a great mystery here in terms of thinking about how that, how that actually happened, but it's clear that it's, it's true. Paul says we were in Christ. In other words, um, cr 
Christ didn't just die for an for an amorphous mass of undifferentiated undifferentiated humanity. He actually died for specific people and that those people were written on his heart and mind as he died for them. And so this brings up a second issue I want to address today. We've been kind of tiptoeing, not tiptoeing around it, but we've been kind of uh, coming up alongside of it. But as we think about what the death of Christ accomplished, we want to think about um, the, the death of Christ and who did it accomplish it for. In other words, for whom did Christ die exactly? And now I understand, and, and even raising that question, um, that can raise some hackles, some, some concerns. Well, Pastor Paul, well, of course, Jesus um, died for every single person in the world. And I, I want us to think about this, though, a little more biblically and theologically, um, because I think the way that we answer this question will serve to magnify and glorify Christ in our hearts and minds, okay, um, in a way that that maybe it hasn't before. So 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 let, let, let's address this question: For whom did Christ die? And I think there's there's two there, there there's two biblical answers that we can provide. Okay, and so remember, the Bible is our ultimate standard here, and it's very clear. Okay, number one that we can say in good conscience: For whom did Christ die? We can, in a sense, say everyone, meaning the world. Okay, so we where do we find this? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love it that I memorized that verse in the King James Version, and I still quote it in the King James Version from many, many years ago. So in a sense, we can say Christ died for the whole world. And what John means by that is that Jesus didn't, die, didn't just die for one segment of people, one nationality, one ethnicity, one socioeconomic class, one race. He he died for everyone, okay, without distinction, okay? And that's why we can um, boldly in front of people proclaim that Jesus died for the world and that if you place your faith and trust in him, then the salvation he secured now belongs to you through faith, Okay. Now, but there's a second, and, and again, I think most of us kind of can traffic in that sort of level of language of that answer for whom did Christ die. But I think there's a there's a there's a deeper answer as well that I think we need to tap into that will raise again your affection and praise and thankfulness for what God has done for you in Christ. The second way we want to answer that question for whom did Christ die. We want to say Christ died particularly for his people, okay? And again, I think we, 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 have, we have reference, uh, biblical warrant to say this. So flip over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to listen to the way Paul describes the death of Christ as it relates to the plan of God. All right, so, so think about it this way. God had a plan before the foundations of the world to redeem a people, a people for himself. And that when Jesus was sent to the, to the earth, to the world, to accomplish that plan, he did so in a very specific way. He came and died for the particular people of God. Now listen to Ephesians 1. 
Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So let's just think again about what Paul is saying here, okay? Who did he predestine, okay? Who did God elect? He elected his people before the foundation of the world, that they would be holy and blameless in his sight. So any person God has elected, any person that God has predestined, most certainly will come to faith in Christ Jesus through the sovereign, gracious work and hand of God. All of the blessings that God predestined for that person will come to fruition in reality. So we understand that when Christ came to die, he if we just kind of leave it at this general, again, amorphous, undifferentiated mass of humanity that Jesus came to die for, then we're left with the very real implica implication, aren't we? that Christ could have come and died and no one would have received him. Christ could have come, Christ could have come and died and and the mission have sort of been short-circuited because of man's hard-hearted rebellion. But that's not the way the Bible speaks about the death of Christ. The death of Christ didn't just make salvation possible, but the death of Christ made salvation certain for his people. Okay, a particular people who were united with him before the foundation of the world. And that when Jesus went to the cross, he had those people specifically in mind. So think about what we sing on a Sunday before the throne of God. Uh, my name is written on his hands, or I'm going to get this wrong. My name is graven on his hands, written on his heart. <laughs> One of those, you, you get the idea. Our heart, mind, soul were graven on engraven on Jesus's heart and mind. That's what it's basically saying. And I think when we consider the implication of this, um, it will raise your level of just deep gratitude for what God has done for you. Think about it this way. When someone does something generally nice and gracious for a large group of people, we're thankful for that, right? and we can give appropriate honor and glory. But when you know that someone has done something specifically for you, okay, then it brings your heart and raises your heart to a whole nother level of praise and adoration for that person. And so it's very biblical to say Jesus loves the world, right? And God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him. We can proclaim that and be thankful for it. But at the same time, we can also be particularly thankful that Jesus died for his people and that he had them specifically on his mind and that he has loved his people with a particular love, an everlasting love, a covenantal love that's different than those who do not belong to Jesus. Jesus loves everyone, but he particularly in a covenantal, covenantally faithful way loves his people. Just as all of you with kids understand this, 
you love children. You love all the children of the world. Um, you, your heart is bent towards the children of the world and to see them flourish and happy. But you have a particular love, right? For your own children. Um, that's unique. It doesn't mean that you don't love everybody else. It just means that you particularly love your children. And I think this is one of the reasons God gifted children to us in humanity is to give us a sense of the particular love that he has for us as his people and will have eternally. Um, there will not be a biological family in heaven. There will be a spiritual family in heaven. God's given us the biological to point to the spiritual, and we certainly see this in the death of Christ. Okay, uh, I'm sure that might have raised some some questions um, on your on from from some of you. Hey, if you do have questions, by the way, email me paul.gilbert at fourworkschurch.com. Be glad to entertain um, any questions or things you'd want me to to readdress or talk about with any of these devotionals. But um, until then, we'll be back. Um, tomorrow morning, Wednesday, um, as we continue um, drawing out some of these implications from Romans chapter six. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would deepen our gratitude and adoration and praise of you for what you have done for us, specifically, particularly through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, um, pray, Lord, that you would remind us of that today, that we would draw our assurance from that, our comfort from that, our hope from that.